All right, welcome to the Tales from the Bay podcast. I'm Larry Kruger. He is Ryan Smith, and welcome to the Tales from the Bay podcast as we look back at the 49ers win over the New Orleans Saints and look ahead to the showdown between Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel, the 49ers taking on the Dolphins in week 13. And we're also joined today by Lee Gowland, who is the president of the 49er Faithful UK, which has over 3,000 followers, Facebook, Twitter, find them on the IG, anywhere you go to look for your 49er podcast, you can find 49ers Faithful UK. And Lee is with us to to um, talk Niners this week. Lee, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. No problem. I'm, I'm happy to join. Yeah. Well, why don't we go right back to last week? 49ers get a nice win over the New Orleans Saints, uh, an impressive win, to say the least, for the 49ers, as it was uh, a shutout, again, for the defense. And it wasn't just a second-half shutout. It was a four-quarter shutout, 13 nothing. And, you know, I guess we could look at the glass half empty and say, what's wrong with the offense? Or we could look at uh, the glass half full and say, man, that 49er defense is really rolling. But, Lee, you had a chance to uh, to check it out. What would you think? 49ers Saints, what was the experience like for you? Yeah, so, I mean, on offense, we weren't really clicking. Uh, we didn't really get into a rhythm there. And I think it showed. Um, it wasn't the type of game we expected from the offense after the game we had the previous week. Um, and I think it, it's got a lot of people concerned about uh, how we go forward with that offense. Um, on the opposite side of the ball, obviously, the defense were absolutely fantastic. However, they did have a couple of lucky breaks uh, during the game because the Saints did manage to move the ball on us. Um, so I think it was more good fortune than anything else that we we ended up with the shutout at the end of the day. Not, yeah, not to mention the pick six as well. But you know what? Yeah. whatever you know when you're playing well and you're playing good football i feel like you kind of get those breaks they, they tend to go your way i mean look at the patriots over the years and also i feel like great defenses what really separates them is just the ability to stop teams from getting in the end zone uh as i'm sure you can remember that uh you know harbaugh year nine i forget which year it was but when they had the rushing touchdown streak and they had a point of pride to keep everyone out of the end zone and make plays. And yeah. that's kind of what it felt like a little bit um, uh, this past weekend. Yeah, I think Demeco Ryans has really got the uh, the defense side of the ball uh, humming at the moment. They're all playing for each other. Um, they want to be recognized as the greatest defense of all time. And to be honest, the way they've been playing, there's, good, there's a good argument for calling them that. I don't think I'm doing a disservice to the 85 Bears. Um, the way we've played on defense this season, has, this season has been absolutely outstanding. Well, <laughs> I think they've been really good on defense as well. Uh, I will keep the '85 Bears in their own category um, above the uh, above this 49er team. But the 49ers in this game did a really nice job shutting down the run. 2.9 yards per carry is all the Saints got uh, running the football, and they have Alvin Kamara. And not only that, the 49ers found a way to punch out two fumbles against Alvin Kamara. And we talked to some of the guys in the locker room this week about that, about how that's become kind of a point of emphasis. You know, D'Amico wants his defensive players to swarm to the football. Um, and, and then, like, one guy make the tackle and somebody else go for possession of the football. And we're seeing kind of a coordinated effort. I thought Greenlaw was incredible. Uh, Samson Ebukam had a fumble recovery. 
Uh, the Fort Talanoa Hafanga is just continues to play at an exceptional high, exceptionally high level. He had nine tackles on the day. Nick Bosa had had a couple hits on the quarterback and, and a sack and three hits on the quarterback and and then and three tackles to go along with it. And then we're seeing no name guys. I mean, T.Y. McGill is flying around and making plays. Drake Jackson. Uh, had a big, big tackle for a loss. So I just think when you look at at what this game was defensively, Saints couldn't run it. They went 0 for 2 on their two trips to the red zone. Um, The Niners' defense once again throws a shutout. And, you know, the Niners were plus 2 in turnovers. And and the 49ers dominated the time of possession, 34-50 to 25-10. I thought it was an interesting game from the standpoint that this was not a game where the 49ers came out and had their 55-45 run pass split. It was kind of the opposite. It was 37 passes and 29 runs for the Niners offensively. So they put more of the game in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands, and he almost blew it, right? I mean, he threw a pick six that was negated by a penalty. Um, He made some mistakes that didn't necessarily cost them because of how the game came down. So, you know, overall, I would say they kind of got away with one. Um, they got away with a, they got away with one. It could have easily been a trap game, you know, coming off of a short week, coming off the road, Colorado Springs and Mexico City, taking on a Saints team on a short week that was somewhat desperate. Um, but instead, the 49ers turned it into a convincing win, and now it's on to the Dolphins. So, I thought overall it was a really solid performance from the 49ers top to bottom. And then as much as, you know, I guess there are people that will be critical of the offense. I just look at the Saints and Cam Jordan, David Onyemata, Tyron Matthew, Demario Davis. I mean, there's some really good defensive players on this Saints defense. And I think at the end of the day, you got to credit them for, you know, for, for, you know, playing desperate, playing hard. And I don't know that the Niner offense is what they didn't do as much as what the Saints did do defensively. Give me your guys' perspective on the other side of the ball, the 49er offense. Yeah, I think you may make a good point there. I think whenever whenever we have a close win and it doesn't go to what all the fans' expectations are, they tend to side with, well, the offense aren't clicking, the offense aren't playing as well as what they should have been playing. And nobody ever gives credit to the actual opposition defense. I thought the Saints came out and did a really good game. Um, we kind of knew Cam Jordan was going to have a good game against us. He's a fantastic player. And they do have some uh, really good players. I mean, Paulson Adebo. Paulson Adebo was a guy that I wanted us to take a couple of years back. Um, not just because I'm a Stanford fan, because obviously I'd seen him play and I knew what he was like. And I thought he could do, do a good job for us. And he turns up at Levi's and he, he has a good game against us. And he's had a good couple of uh, well, season and a half since he came into the league. They've got the players there to have a really good defence. Um, and I think as far as the Saints are concerned, you look at the record and I, I don't particularly think the record reflects the strength they have on that roster. Um, I think they've had some, some injuries during the season. They've had some um, unfortunate moments. But... Yeah, the Saints defense came out and played a lot better than what I was expecting to play. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that too. I I never actually saw um, the comment from Shanahan, but I heard other people talking about Shanahan maybe saying something about the Saints being the most difficult defense they've faced so far. 
So, I mean, that's pretty high praise from that guy. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was one of those games where, obviously, the offense left you kind of uh, wanting a little bit more. But at the end of the day, you know, they got the W. They covered the point spread. Um, the, the red zone was not quite as good as it was, you know, the previous week. But overall now, this is a nice little sample size of, you know, four or five games where they're top three in offense in the league. And, you know, it's just you see it every week. Um, it's not just the teams that, you know, every once in a while roll out a C performance, sometimes a B, sometimes an A, sometimes a D. But it's also both units. You know, sometimes the team's offense, it rolls out with a B, but, you know, the defense rolls out with a D. And so they let it's it. It's just one of those things where, you know, as long as the 49ers offense can just stay, you know, B, B minus. And I also felt like the game plan and the, the way the defense was playing um, sort of dictated that they were kind of just they were just trying to win the game. Like, you know, they weren't they weren't trying to pour it on the Saints. Um, they weren't really forcing things. So, yeah, overall, G- I thought Jimmy played well. Also, I, I saw some people kind of bagging on him, but I don't, I don't think this was the right game to, to really bag on him. I, I think that game will come at some point like it does for every player. But this was not the one to bag on him for it. Um, the other theme in, theme in this game, unfortunately, was the 49ers getting more injuries starting to mount. Uh, Christian McCaffrey did not practice on Wednesday this week going into the Miami game because he's still dealing with near knee irritation. Elijah Mitchell is going to be out for the next you know month and a half to two months because of an MCL sprain. Spencer Burford went out in this game and did not return. He's your starting right guard. Uh, the 49ers had some injuries and and some guys who got uh, dinged up in this game and. Uh, how they kind of recover, especially in the offensive backfield, from these injuries, probably determines what kind of what kind of stretch it's going to be in the in the weeks ahead. Um, <clears throat> I'm eager to see in the backfield now with, that you take out Elijah Mitchell. Let's just say, for the sake of conversation, that McCaffrey cannot go against the Dolphins. Who's the Niners' number one running back? Is it are they going with Jordan Mason? Uh, the undrafted rookie free agent out of Georgia Tech who's had so little um, run this year but has been incredibly impressive in the times he's gotten in there? Or do they go with the third-round pick at LSU, Ty Davis-Price? And we caught up with with TDP today in the locker room, and he's ready to roll. He says he's ready to roll, and, and um, you know, it's next man up. And those are the two guys that are – that are next up on the depth chart. So, who do you guys expect us to get the lion's share of the carries this week? Is is it a is it a Jordan Mason week? Is it a TDP TDP week? Or does Christian McCaffrey dig deep and wind up playing hurt against the Dolphins? How do you guys see it? So, if Christian McCaffrey doesn't play on Sunday night. I actually expect Debo to get the lion's share of the uh, the carries. I think we'll go back to Debo and use Jordan Mason and TDP. Um, whenever we need to give Debo a rest, I, I like that. Mm. That's interesting. What do you think, Ray? Go with the go with Debo in the backfield. I mean, they've kept him pretty fresh as far as running the ball. So actually, really kind of wouldn't surprise me if they did go to that. But um, I don't know. I, I have a feeling McCaffrey's going to play. This is, seems to me 
Wednesday is like the one practice that you don't really worry about if they're missing. It's kind of a vet's day off. But I will say, more long-term, I am a little concerned with CMC's knee. Just the report, just like, see, knee irritation. It's like, what, does he have scabies on his knee? Like, what? It's, it's It sounds weird. It sounds like some something weird's going on. And it kind of leads me to think it's maybe something that's going to linger for the rest of the season. It wasn't like an acute injury. It's just something he's going to have to kind of work on and monitor. And for that reason, I don't think we're ever going to see him get the crazy Carolina workload. So I would expect CMC to play. And then it's just a matter of um, whoever Kyle trusts going into this game between Mason TDP and I guess what Tevin Coleman on the practice squad. And I think whoever he trusts of that group will then just slide into the Mitchell role. Um, what Mitchell's been doing the past couple weeks. Yeah, I didn't even mention Tevin Coleman, but Coleman is a tough guy and a veteran who knows this offense really, really well. If I have any um, <clears throat> complaints about Shanahan, um, it would be in the usage of McCaffrey. I, I just think McCaffrey is such a home run hitter. He's such a big play threat that to run him up, you know, to run him between the tackles on you know, runs that are designed to get three and four yards on first and second down um, might not be, you know, taking full advantage. It, it may be risking too much for too little of a reward. So Ty Davis Price, 220. Jordan Mason, 235, 240 pounds. Uh, Tevin Coleman, who's, who's you know, very, relatively fresh from his inactivity, I'd like to see them ride those three guys between the tackles. And if they do use McCaffrey, throw it to him outside the tackle box. Give him some – don't let him be subjected to more hits on that knee uh, running between the tackles. You know, when you run between the tackles in the NFL, there's really no way to protect yourself. You can get hit at any angle at any point. Um, and it's a it's a physical pounding that not everybody can take. I just think that when you see the kind of big playability that McCaffrey has demonstrated as a receiver flexed out in space uh, as an athlete, he's a big play guy. And I'd I'd rather see Shanahan kind of preserve his body a little bit the rest of the way and use you know use some of their the three other backs to run inside and use Christian, you know, out in space a little bit more. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I I, I I do agree to some extent. I just have a little bit of PTSD from just all of the Trey Lance running between the tackles discourse that happened early in the beginning of the year. So I'm just like, uh, like as soon as you start talking like that, it's like, I agree. But also I'm like, uh, PTSD. Uh, yeah, I, I think that Christian... <sighs> It's weird because he, in his whole career, he's been like a 99% of the snaps guy. And lately he has been, he has gotten injured a few times, but for the most part, when he's out there, he plays almost every down. But since he's gotten to the Niners, it seems like Shanahan is still kind of trying to figure out how to use him, how to best use that split to preserve him. And I agree, Larry, I would love to just see him like his best trait is that he's probably the best route runner, best receiver on the team. Honestly, I want to see him like why did, can he just have a few games where he plays like the Julian Edelman role or the Wes Welker role and, you know, by all means, run it a few times, you know, run it the eight, eight to ten, eight to 12 times. But I want to see him on the field, but I want to see him on the field as a receiver. Lee, what do you think? I mean, um, uh, my argument basically is stop using your sports car off-roading. <laughs> 
Yeah. You, what do you think? How how do you how would you like to see McCaffrey utilized within this offense? Um, to how he runs best, I think he needs to be running outside the tackles, not inside the tackles. And um, completely agree with um, your concerns about the way Shanahan uses our offensive weapons. He puts them in danger. He, he did that with Trey Lance. Completely agree with what Ryan said. Um, that injury nearly broke me at the start of the season. Um, I was so infuriated that Shanahan would put what, a, a guy that he gave up three first-round picks for, he'd put him in that situation, let the kid throw. And it's the same with McCaffrey. Let him do what he does best. Don't use him as a, a, a north-south runner in between the tackles going down because he's going to get injured. And if he gets injured, that's potentially our season over with. If we've lost Elijah Mitchell for the next two months, if we lose Christian McCaffrey now, then he's surely going to go back to relying on Debo to to do that uh, type of role, and then it leaves us short of wide receiver as well. So I, I think I think Larry's right. Um, Shanahan he has made some questionable decisions in how he's using the personnel that he has. Let's talk a little bit in this segment before we take a break here. A little bit about Forty Nine er Faithful UK and Lee, how you how you you know, started it and, and how you've been growing it and, and tell us a little bit about the momentum that you guys have gained. And if people haven't joined, uh, you can f- find 49er Faithful UK on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. There's nearly 3,000 followers of the uh, of uh, 49er Faithful UK. Tell us a little bit about its origins. And the flag. Yeah, so, so and the flag. The flag yeah. right behind us. So... I didn't actually start the group. The group was founded back in 2010. Um, I joined in 2011. Um, and it got up to 2015 and there was a split in the group. And the original founder decided he didn't want anything to do with social media. He actually took himself away and basically handed everything over to me and another guy. Um, and from then on, we kind of looked at what we wanted to do with the group, how we wanted um, to, to best grow the group. And what we thought was you need to make it inclusive, you need to make it um, a community rather than anything else, um, something where you can get a good group of friends to be able to go and watch the 49 games uh, and to keep things positive as well. Um, and having said that, we don't we don't censor people to the extent that you can't criticise the team of players. You certainly can't criticise the team of players, but you do it in a constructive manner. So rather than just saying this player's garbage, explain why you think he's had a poor game, where he needs to improve, that type of thing. And it promotes their uh, dialogue throughout the whole group. Um, and what we did is we started using social media to uh, the best advantage. Paul Hope took over the uh, the Twitter account this time last year. Well, Paul. Um, and it just, yeah, it just absolutely exploded. Paul was the right person for that job. I, I'd looked after it for a good six years. Uh, and as you can tell, I'm a bit long in the tooth. <laughs> um, so tw- Twitter's kind of not my age type of application there. Um, and we went from having about 30,000 impressions a month to having somewhere in the region of half a million impressions a month once Paul took over. So that kind of got our name out there um, and helped with the whole uh, the, the branding of of the uh, 49er for UK. Um, we became a official booster club back in 2013. So between 2010 and 2013, we were affiliated to the Niner Empire. Um, and then 2012, the Niner Empire split into two groups. We decided, well, we weren't going to be part of the politics, so we removed ourselves altogether and became a proper um, San Francisco 49ers booster club. And we've gone on from there. 
um, and we've gone from strength to strength really. Um, we have members pretty much going over every game, um, not just home games, but uh, road games as well. Um, obviously, I'm out in San Francisco at the moment. I was at the Saints game. I'll be out at the Dolphins game. Um, there's been eight of us out this week um, at various different times. Uh, we met up with quite a few of them at, at the weekend. There's four of us um, invited to the, the gold mine section. I believe that's a new section this year. It was quite good. Um, it comes with some restrictions and, and rules. Um, and what I have found is that being the grand old age of 49, it's very difficult to shout for three hours solid <laughs> and not to affect your voice. <laughs> so it has taken some time for my voice to come back. And it's still a little bit croaky at the moment. Um, but it's absolutely fantastic. It gets all the rest of the fans um, riled up. Um, and obviously there's perks with that as well. So we've got a free museum pass. Um, we got onto the field at the end of the game, which was absolutely fantastic. I managed to catch a pass in the end zone and uh, actually throw one to to one of the other guys as well. Um, so the group the group is going from strength to strength. Uh, we were recently on the Sports Club Live. We did the podcast on there. Um, and as soon as that podcast had finished, the 49ers asked us if we come back and do it again um, because they were over, over the moon the way it went. So I think it's quite pleasing to see we're getting the recognition there. Um, and obviously we've had recognition before earlier on in the season, which I think you're going to touch on a little bit later. Um, so it is, it's good. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, I don't know if you're at the game, but I actually ended up on the field, uh, two minute one in the first half. So they picked me out of the, uh, the gold mine section to go down and do a trivia quiz. No way. Um, answer three questions. Yeah. Answer three questions and you win $200. I actually got the first one wrong, but got the next two right. Oh. So I've ended up with $100. Yeah, what did you think of the stadium experience? What did you think of the noise? What did you think of the fans, the energy, the the whole the whole? And, and did you bring you those chains or were those provided for you? No, you got those I, in the parking lot. I, I, no, I've got those in the team store, actually. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I got those chains in the team store. Absolutely loved it. I saw them in Vegas while I was there, um, but I didn't want to part with my money at the time. But I got one. I got one on Sunday. And I convinced all the others to get them as well. So we're all walking around with the chains on. Um, as far nice. as the stadium's concerned, when I first came over in 2014 for the inaugural season, it, it seemed very strange. It seemed very clinical, very clean. It just didn't have any didn't have any soul. It didn't. Right. Um, but then over the seasons, the, the kind of uh, changed that. So you, we've now got our Hall of Fame up on the boards. And we start to hang the banners down, and it feels more like San Francisco 49ers Stadium. Um, so it's, it's getting there. Obviously, the stadium wasn't created to to win football matches; it was created to generate money, um, which is a shame because you've got those two open ends, and we we can't get the noise down on the field like some other stadiums, like Lumens Field, um, Arrowhead. Those stadiums are built for all that noise to go on the field to give your team a competitive advantage. And it's a shame Levi's wasn't built in the same sort of way as that. Uh, I, th- I think they were, had too much of a an eye on generating cash through concerts and through other sporting events. To, to be fair, shame. though, I mean, it would have been a little unfair for them to have this crazy Seattle-like home field and then have the same thing down in SoFi and then have the same thing down in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> uh 
It is, it, you know, that's funny that that's your, your criticism because that is a criticism that's heard, that was heard a lot in the early days of the stadium that it didn't have the soul of Candlestick and that it yeah. was, the amenities were wonderful and that people loved the amenities and, and how nice it was, but that it was kind of sterile and didn't have a real connection to the 49er history. Uh, my argument and contention was always that, those things happen organically over time and you can't recreate that. You know, Joe Montana made those memories. You know, I, I, as a kid growing up in San Francisco, Candlestick was a, was a dump until 1981. And then in 81, they won the championship. In 80, you know, 84, they won it again. 88, they did it again. 89, they did it again. 94, they did it again. So, in that 20-year period there from 80 to 2000, that's when that stadium's greatest memories were all, you know, constructed. So it's not about necessarily the stadium itself. It's about the memories that people have in the stadium and the stadium kind of, you know, certain parts of the field are synonymous with certain games and certain moments in Niner history. But until the games are played... Uh, it's a stadium that lacks history and lacks color, and I, I agree with you. Though I think it it, yeah. ha- it does feel like more of a home field advantage in 2022 than it did even even as recently as five or six years ago. Yeah, I I thought it was pretty loud. I I mean that's one disadvantage we have is like we're in the press box, so they've got the bullet or not bulletproof. Eh, my, probably is bulletproof, but soundproof glass. Uh, so it, you know it's like when we start to hear stuff. That's when we're like, wow, it must be really loud. So did it seem loud to you? I mean, I know you were screaming, but. Well, it obviously sounded loud to me because yeah. I was in the gold mine section. <laughs> and the whole point of the gold mine section is to get everybody else up, up in there chanting. So we start, as soon as that clock hits, the play clock hits 40, we start with the defense chant. It gets down to 20 seconds, and then you do the old foghorn, make as much noise as possible. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know if you know the reason of for the gold mine, um, but after one of the, uh, the the college championship game, I think it was Alabama and Clemson. I, I might yep, be wrong. We were there for that. Yeah, but it was so loud that Jed York came away from that and said, "Right, that's what I want." Forty nine the games. How do we do it? And that's why they came up with the gold mine section. So you have the fan chapters in there. They start the noise off, and it kind of just reverberates around the stadium and gets oh. everybody going. Um, so it was constantly noisy where we were. Oh, well, that's great to hear. Well, let's do this. Let's take a timeout. Next segment, we're going to talk a little, we're going to recap a little bit of the NFC. And we're also going to talk to you about your three favorite 49er players and your three favorite 49er moments. That's all straight ahead. Lee Galland is with us, Larry Kruger, Ryan Smith. It's the Tales from the Bay podcast. And we've got more straight ahead next. Welcome back to the Tales from the Bay podcast. Larry Kruger, Ryan Smith, and we're joined this week by Lee Gowland, the head of the 49er Faithful UK, which you can follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and they're doing great stuff, and, and Lee's out here in the Bay. He was out here for the Saints and the Niners. Now he's taking in uh, some glorious Bay Area, uh, you know, late November, early December weather, and then he will be taking in Niners, Dolphins, uh, Sunday at Levi's 49ers looking to put one on the Dolphins and pay them back 
for a route. The last time the Dolphins came to Levi's, uh, I think they had a you know Forty Niners had a had a undrafted free agent, street free agent corner named Brian Allen, who they activated on Wednesday, put him out on the field against the Dolphins and watched Ryan Fitzpatrick pick him apart. And uh, the Dolphins crushed the 49ers that day. One of the real ugly wins of the Shanahan, uh, ugly losses, I should say, of the Kyle Shanahan era. All right, before we recap the NFC, let's get to your favorite players and favorite moments from the Niners. Because I just, I saw the draft and I just think, hmm, I might be able to guess one of your favorite players. And believe it or not, Lee, one of your favorites is one of Ryan and I's favorites as well. So go away, go go right ahead and start off. Who are your three favorite 49er players? Okay, so that's that easy. Ronnie Lott, Patrick Willis, Sammy Warmack. Ronnie Lott, number 42. The great Ronnie Lott. The greatest safety in the history of football, in my opinion. The man made the Pro Bowl as a corner and as a safety. He one time lopped off a part of a digit to avoid missing games. That's how much he was in love with 49er football. And he was intimidating. Ronnie Lott would hit you like a truck and separate you from the football. Patrick Willis, an incredible football player in his own right, a man who belongs in Canton. Um, but his career was short, cut short by a foot injury, and he just kept having terrible pain in that foot. And... This was a player the 49ers fell in love with during the Mike Singletary era when Singletary and the Niner coaching staff coached in the Senior Bowl. And Patrick Willis was one of the linebackers at the Senior Bowl, and the 49ers had a top 10 pick. And they saw how incredible Willis was as an athlete, as a, as a, as a, as a defensive mind. And they got an up-close look at his work habits, and they said, give me Patrick Willis. And sure enough, in that draft, I think it was Patrick Willis and Joe Staley. Uh, not a bad first round for the 49ers, to say the least. And Willis has gone on. To me, the only real debate is, is Willis and Bowman better than Warner and Greenlaw and Aziz in the current group? Uh, because Willis and Bowman were absolutely spectacular during the Harbaugh years. So, And then Sammy Womack. So explain that one, because Ronnie... Hall of Famer, Willis, someday will be. Womack, Womack? Go ahead, Lee. Okay, so at the end of uh, last season, the 49ers were awarded the UK marketing rights. Um, and as part of that, the organization had been starting to look at ways of how, how they can actually promote that, how they can expand the market in the UK. Um, and it came up to the start of the April, the draft was quickly approaching. And the 49ers reached out to us and said, look, can you come across to Vegas and represent the UK fan base? Um, it, it was a no-brainer for me. Unfortunately, Paul Hope was uh, injured with a ruptured Achilles at the time, so he couldn't fly. Um, so me and a fellow co-host of our podcast, Najee Corral, we went out to Vegas. Um, and the whole thing was... Had you ever been to Vegas? No, never. Never. So, now, uh, if, if you're going to ask us what Vegas is, is like, I have no idea. Because I spent all four <laughs> days at the draft. <laughs> nice, but but what did you what did you think of Vegas compared to cities that you had been in? I'm sure as you're walk, walking onto the strip for the first time, you have to be thinking, "Hmm, there's nothing. There's no reasonable facsimile in the UK for Vegas, or is there?" 
No, I, I would say there's not. Um, it, it was it was definitely an eye opener. It was it was almost like being on a Disney resort. Yeah, right. Just because of yeah, you, you walk down there and you think this is just not real. Um, how how can people actually live here? Uh, it was really strange. Um, obviously, if if you've been to Vegas, you know you walk down the strip and every twenty yards you get a accosted by a woman in a bikini asking to take a photo. It's like, what's this all about? <laughs> um, but yeah, It doesn't we, happen we, in the UK? Oh, only in Blackpool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Only in Blackpool. Note to self, make a trip there. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, was a strange, it was a strange experience. I don't think I did the Vegas experience. Uh, mainly because, like I said, I, I was pretty much at the draft constantly the four days I was there. Um, so the, what 49ers wanted us to do was basically just be there and be seen, be seen with the flags um, and just enjoy it, really. Um, so they they give us tickets to the actual um, the arena, front row, right in front of the uh, the stage. And, and we just had to be there and just enjoy the whole occasion and help with all the rah-rah stuff every time a pick came in. Um, so that's all we were expecting. Um, and then at the end of day two, Nick Clark, the uh, senior manager of fan engagement, came up to us and asked if both myself and Najik could come back for day three. He'd get us tickets in the same place. And we were on the moon because we were there for four days anyway. Um, and then he turned around and said, do you mind going on stage and um, announcing one of our picks? So I said, oh, of course, of course, I'm going to say yes. What um, was that experience like? It, it was intimidating. Were you a little t- little scared, a little apprehensive? It's a big crowd there, no, right? There was hundreds of thousands of people, weren't there? Yeah, so, so there was 30,000 within the stadium itself or within the arena where, where they had the right. draft. And then I was told there was uh, half a billion who was being lived to. So it kind yeah. of sets your nerves going a little bit. Um, on, on the end of day two, when I said, yes, I'll do it, the nerves did kind of kick in a little quickly there. Um, but luckily enough, on the morning of um, day one, um, do, do you know who Jeff Reinbold is? Have you heard of no. Jeff Reinbold? No. So he's player development, uh, director of player development for the University of Hawaii. Um, he does a lot of broadcasting over in the UK with Sky Sports NFL coverage. Um, and I've been on a few of his shows. So I, I'd reached out to him while I was in Vegas and said, look, I'm in Vegas. Do you want to meet up, have a beer, talk some football? Um, so I met him on the morning of uh, day one, and he turned around and he said something that kind of stuck with us. He turned around and said, the NFL never ever do anything they're going to fail at. They always have a plan. So my main concern after I said, yes, I'll do this, was am I going to be able to pronounce the name? Is, is it going to be some Hawaiian right. name, some uh, name? How, how am right. I going to will do this? Will, will, be, will they give you a phonetic spelling? Exactly. Exactly. So the nerves have kicked in. But then Nachi remembered the conversation with Jeff on the morning of day three, which is when I was going to announce the pick. And he turned around and says, remember what Jeff said. The NFL don't do anything with a bailout. There'll be somebody there who's going to take you through to make sure you pronounce that name before you go on stage. Um, and that's, what, that's how it uh, worked. So they got me up 12 picks before the 49ers pick. Um, took me around the back, showed me everything around the back, uh, the green room, the escort room, where they do all the, the uh, jersey printing. Um, there's a really secure room with four bouncers outside the room for um, door guards, and that's where the picks came in. And then you had a row of printers. 
Um, when it was getting close to my my turn, I think it was about four or five picks, they'd get you in line and you stood at the side of the stage um, and there's a stage manager there. She's got a clipboard and uh, you basically walk up and she said, right, this is how it's going to uh, work. The pick will come in, the card will get printed, we'll bring it over here, we'll go through the uh, card and then you'll go. And then I text Adam so Schefter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you weren't allowed phones. Oh, we could that not makes take sense. Phones with us. Yeah. Really? Oh, they yeah. were worried about you giving it yeah. away. Yeah. So you had to leave your phone um, with, with somebody else while, while you went on stage. So the stage manager, finger to the ear. Yeah, the pickers coming in. Some Sammy Warmack, defensive back to leader. My heart was boom. All nerves gone. Sammy I can Warmack, pronounce that. That's that easy. Yeah. So the in fact, card, that's a Womack's probably a, a name that you probably said in the UK, right? Oh, it is. Yeah, is, yeah. is Womack a pretty common name in the UK? Um, no, I wouldn't say it is. I don't know anybody called Womack in the UK, but because okay. of Womack right. and Womack, the group, yeah, yeah, the pop group, that, that's how I knew it. Um, so that, that kind of set me nerves, which was good. And then the stage manager took the card, said, right, read the card, right, read it, read it again, one more time for us, fantastic. Right, stand on that cross on the floor. I'm going to count you down from five. Once I get the three, I'm going to tap you on your shoulder. You just go out there and do your business. Now, what the had said was, stick to the card, but you do have a little bit license. So you can't see all the things. I mean, you, you'll have seen. There um, was a couple guys who gave speeches. Oh, Remember that? Yeah. Who was the one guy who got booed? Yeah. I think uh, it was the Vikings, he went on the Vikings on on. guy. Yeah, yes, the Vikings guy. Yes, the guy. They're like, enough, oh. enough with this. Give the yeah. pick. People start booing. So so people boo all the time. That, that, that's why it was really right. I was there for day two because I was sat there and I was watching every fan that came up to do a pick getting booed. And I was thinking, I'm glad I'm here watching that <laughs> just in case right. I hadn't noticed it and I thought they were booing for me. So I walk out and boos were ringing around the stadium, ringing around the arena. Yeah. And it was mostly coming Scott from Van Cardinals Pell. fans. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cardinals it, fans. What do they it, know? They haven't won anything. Exactly. So I, I read the card exactly like it was until the end. And then that's when I came with the bang, bang, nine gang. I was pointing at the Cardinals fans. Oh. Um, and then I rocked off stage. That's awesome. So was, what did you say? What did you? How did you say it? I, I just looked over. Can you reenact it? it? Yeah, yeah. Um, ooh, let's think. Yeah. So with the, with the 172nd pick, of the 2020 NFL draft, the San, the San Francisco 49ers select defensive back Samuel Walmack to lead up. Bang, bang, nine again. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, yes. That's awesome. That is sweet. Yeah. That is sweet. And you know what? He, well, and, and so Walmack has become one of your favorite players and got he a has. guy you've taken interest in. And there's no guarantee that he even would have made the team, right? He's a, he's a fifth-round pick. Or was it a sixth-round pick? No, fifth-round, fifth right? Fifth-round pick. Yeah, that's yeah. their magic round. He has become um, an excellent player and a guy that, that Ryan and I have talked to a few Probably times. Probably more and, than anyone um, other than maybe yeah. Drake Jackson. We talked to him quite a bit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the one thing about this player, and I've pointed this out to Ryan as a former football scout, this guy is in a special category in my mind. Why? Because – the most humble beginning you can have for a collegiate career is to be a quote unquote walk on, right? It means you didn't, you didn't get a scholarship. 
You know, you were a great athlete that got overlooked for whatever reason, you didn't get a scholarship and you walked on. So we see players walk on to every school in America. And then there's a whole nother group of players that we see become all Americans and all conference players. But it's very, very, very rare that a player goes from a walk-on to an all-conference player, to an NFL player, to an NFL draft choice, to a guy who actually plays in the league. So for this kid to go from a walk-on player at Toledo to all-conference in the MAC to a fifth-round draft choice, and now he is, you know, he's a key cog in their secondary on a team that has sights on winning the Super Bowl, and there's no fear. There's no intimidation. He's not, the moment's not too big for him. He's going to play and he's going to play well. And you've already seen him star on special teams. And he really has not disappointed even when he's been in there from scrimmage. So um, great story. Great story. And it's really cool that you have that connection. Yeah. Right. Go, go ahead. Do you have three favorite Niner players? Since, oh, shoot. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know his. that it was, it was kind of turning back on me. Uh, I'd, I guess I'd have yeah. to say definitely P. Willie. 100% P. Willie. He's my favorite player of my childhood. Um, then I'm probably gonna have to go Frank or, you know, it, it feels like a real shame to like pick somebody off this team right now, especially now that I'm covering them, it gets a little weird. Um, but I, I, you know, I'll say Kittle, Kittle's just awesome, man. And he just, I just, that Saints game, even though I know it was a regular season game, just sticks in my mind as like, it was some of the yeah. loudest I've been ever yelled and. I don't know. Just I was living with my buddy in Santa Barbara after college. He was a huge Niner fan, and we were both just losing our mind. And our other roommate was a Saints fan, and it was just we were talking ass back and forth all week. And then Kittle just, oh my god, like he's just a a, a lot. You know, he's he's being attacked by lions, and he's just limping down the field and just dragging everyone. And oh man, it's so cool. So yeah, I'd say I'd say Kittle. Larry, you got to give yours now. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'll, I'll go with three. You know, I, I've watched this team for so long that I could, I could go with all kinds of guys from yesteryear. I'll go with three on this on this year's team that I love watching. Dre Greenlaw. I mean, Dre Greenlaw is just flies around. We we cornered him in the locker room about a month ago, and I said, "You love hitting people, don't you? You just love blowing people up." And he had that, he had that, you know, he had the dip in, he had the grizzly. I got a little grizzly. Uh, and he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, and he started to giggle. And it's just like, there's something, there's a violent nature to Dre Greenlaw. Uh, and I love it. I love it. And then I, I've become a huge Talanoa Hafanga fan. I just, the way he does desig- the way he, he, um, you know, diagnoses the plays correctly in, in well in advance of almost everybody else on the field. Um, yeah, he's fallen off some blocks in recent weeks, but he's not going to fall off those blocks when the games really matter. So I would say Greenlaw and Hafanga, and then the other guy is Jimmy Ward. I mean, for the same reason that I love Greenlaw is Jimmy Ward loves to hurt people. I mean, I mean, as a defensive player. Um, you know, we were doing an interview with him, Lee, about a, maybe six weeks ago. And he's like, I'm like saying, I said to him, Hey man, if you hit a guy really hard, he, he doesn't play quite as hard after that. And he's like, yeah, you hit a guy in his 
patella. <laughs> he hit a guy in his ribs. He's like, he doesn't play quite as hard after that. And and he, when he said it, he had this little Cheshire cat grin. Like, yeah, I, I like hitting guys in their patella. So I don't know. Football's rough. It's a rough game played by rough guys. But uh, to me, Greenlaw, Jimmy Ward, and Talanoa Hafanga, all back seven players for the Niners right now. Um, it's one of the best back sevens in the game. And those three guys have as much to do with it as anybody. So I'll say those are my three. I mean, I've got favorites from yesteryear like Bryant Young, uh, Bar Nunn, William Floyd, loved William Floyd, and so many. I mean, so many that I can't. Dwight Clark, who I considered a personal friend. Um, the fact that as a, I was a 10-year-old kid, 11-year-old kid who watched D.C. catch the ball from Joe, Joe Montana in the corner of the end zone. And he was my childhood hero. And then to become uh, a friend of mine who I actually golfed with and had a couple drinks with and did a number of 49ers events with and hung out at Giants games with and getting to know a guy that was like my hero as a 10-year-old and 11-year-old as like a friend. And then one day Dwight Clark came up to me and said, man, I was listening to your show last night. And you were talking about this and this, and I just, I just, I just love your show, man. I think your show is so good. I love listening to you. And it's like, I, you know, I mean, I've told my wife this story many times. The day he told me that, I didn't need a car to drive home. I could have floated home. You know what I mean? I was on such a cloud nine to have somebody who was like your childhood hero tell you that they like and respect your work, which is to commentate on football, and he's a football player. It gets no better than Oof. that. Steve Young is a personal friend. Um, I can't wait know, till I, I can't I wait really till I'm love, first. I love Drake Jackson. I, I love watching Drake Jackson right now and talking to Drake, um, the the rookie at SC. So many, many, many Niners um, I could name, but those are the ones. That I can't wait out. till I'm close personal friends with Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. <laughs> 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 me I mean, it does change your. It does That's change. Crazy. I mean, getting to know Dwight Clark and knowing how you know the humility of the man and and how humble he was and how kind hearted he was and how people wanted to kind of you know t- you know it's like you have this incredible moment in life and then people want to kind of take your time uh, for the rest of your life to share with you what your moment meant to them or where they were in your moment. And he never tired of it. And he always was incredibly gracious. And I remember him bringing a box of his Super Bowl rings to the Giants game. And we're sitting at the baseball Giants game up in the, in the luxury suite. And I'm like, DC, what, you got the rings with you? And he's like, oh, I bring them to – every time I do any major events, I, I always bring them. People want to see him. He loved to make Niner fans happy. And he understood that he – you know, that was his moment in the sun and that people wanted to relive it with him. And he never was short with them. He was always gracious and kind. Um, just one of a kind, man. Just one of a kind. D.C., Dwight Clark. uh you know, great love for DC. So, so there you go. Uh, those are the ones that stand out to me. And I'm, and there are many more. I mean, um, I've had a t- chance to be on the 49er pregame show for the last decade. And one of my favorite moments every week is when we would have the honorary captain and 
here's Bryant Young and his family, and here's you know John Taylor and his family, and here's Jerry Rice and his family, and here's you know and getting to you know getting to to meet their families and and hear their stories. Um, many of these NFL players, Chris Dahlman, we had him on. He's a principal of a high school and an athletic director, and you know he's now affecting children's lives and high school kids' lives, and uh, his son plays in the NFL. I mean, just just so much of it, and then also. You know, I've mentioned this before, but just how proud I am that the 49ers started the Golden Heart Foundation to take care of their alums. I mean, it just shows about, you know, to me, when I think of the Niners, maybe more so than other teams, I think of Eddie and I think of Jed and I think of the family. And the Niners treat their players like family and they support their players like family well beyond their playing beyond their playing careers and, and, you know, NFL usefulness, let's say. And I have great respect for that. So, um, you know, to me, I hope every team in the NFL copies the 49ers Golden Heart Found, Golden Heart Foundation, where they take care of their own uh, in post-career. Because so many of these players do exceptional things after their career, but, but many of them leave the game with their bodies and minds broken needing to find a whole nother career and it's a challenge and sometimes it's a challenge that they're not up to and they need a little help. So um, I just, I'm, I'm very, very grateful that the Niners take care of their own. It makes me feel better about rooting for them, uh, knowing that, that they don't just discard their players, that they support them beyond their, their NFL usefulness. I will say that we'll, we'll skip our NFC breakdown, but I think it's really Niners, Eagles, Cowboys in the NFC Um, let's look ahead to the Dolphin game this weekend. The Dolphins roll in. They're eight and three on the season. They're three and two on the road, five and one at home. Uh, they've been six and two in, inside the AFC. So that means that they are two and one outside the conference. They've won five games in a row. They've got among the best speed in the game, but they will be playing without both of their offensive tackles. And if you watched their game last weekend, um, when they lost their offensive tackles, it was jailbreak on on uh, on Tua Tagovailoa. I expect the 49er defensive line without those two tackles to really uh, rock and roll. And I, I think the 49ers get an impressive win here. I am predicting, I uh, hate to be this guy, and it's been a lot of weeks since I've done it. I'm predicting a loss. I'm predicting Niners go down in this one. You know, they've won a lot of games in a row. What is it? Four games in a row. You know, you gotta. I, I, oh, I think we all kind of felt at least like at the beginning of the season, like you know, Dolphins, Bucks. You know, probably lose one of those. You know, whether it's the Dolphins, and that's how I feel. I feel like even if they win this week, then that means that they're going to end up losing to the Bucks. But if they lose this week, then they will beat the Bucks. That's just how my stupid brain works. Uh, but no, I, 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 I just worry about. I think my, just it's going to be max motivation for Mike McDaniel. I worry a little bit about uh just McCaffrey maybe not being a hundred percent and I don't know sometimes the vibes can be it's good when the vibes are great in the locker room but it's almost like uh, you need to be humbled every once in a while I think that's what the Chiefs really did to them was was humble them and I think that um the speed on the outside I just worry about Tyreek Hill Waddle there's one thing these Niners uh, defensive backs, you know, do not want to face. It's those guys because they they could do a, a good job, but 
not necessarily against, you know, the fastest man on the planet and maybe the second fastest man on the planet. And um, also, I just feel like there's a lot of revenge coming, like Mostert, Jeff Wilson. And I'll say this, if the Niners cannot, you know, kind of nick up, beat up uh, Tua, it's going to be a long day. I think their one shot is to really get to him and get to him early. And it's a good thing the tackles are out. But if they start laying licks on him, even if he's, you know, not getting sacked, just laying licks on him, on you know, almost every play, you know, making him see ghosts, as Sam Darnold said, he hasn't really been hit like that this year, other than, you know, of course, when he got knocked out with the concussion. I think that could affect him. I think that could cause him to not be able to wait long enough, you know, to really fire it down the field uh, when those guys are getting separation. So, yeah, I'm going to say the Niners lose this one. I'm going to say 20, 28 to 24. Lee, this is a man who put money on um, the country of Iran uh, in the World Cup against the U.S. I pay for my victories. And now he's going. Now he, he was pro Iran and now he's pro Dolphins. Do you see a theme? Lee, what do you see this weekend? So I'm over the moon that Ryan's gone with the 28-24 defeat because I was going to go with the 28-24 win. <laughs> I think it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people uh, imagine. The Dolphins have been putting up quite a few points in the last uh, three or four weeks now. Uh, but as Larry said, they're going to be missing both their uh, starting tackles. So I think we'll be able to get to Tua. And um, I, I think I, I'm hoping for a big game from Borsa. Um, I, th- I think we can handle the Dolphins, but it will be a close game. I- I'm not particularly worried about the speed because of our pass rush. And if we get Eric Armstead back as well, that- that's going to be absolutely huge. It's going to be huge for Borsa. It's going to be huge for Evercam and Drake Jackson when he's come around in uh, third down situations. I, I think we're going to cause havoc with their tour. And then, like you said, I, th- I think in the back of his mind, he sees ghosts every now and again, ever since his head injury. Yes. I think he, he will be nervous. He'll be panicking. Uh, and I think we've got a kind of defensive line that's going to scare him all game long. Um, as far as putting points up on their defense, they've got quite a good defense as well. But I'm, I'm taking the Saints game as far as scoring as an anomaly. I, I think we'll put up the points. We at home after all. I, you know, the, the one thing about these games in the in the middle of the season is that if, you know, any one game, uh, you may not get a team's A game. You may get their B game or C game, um, especially, you know, like in a game like this where the next week is Tom Brady coming to town and then the Seahawks, the 49ers in, in theory could get, get caught looking ahead. But the fact that Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert talked a big game this week, to me, guarantees that the Dolphins are going to get the 49ers A game. And they can't handle the 49ers A game. Uh, Teron Armstrong and Austin Jackson are both out. Their backups, Brandon Shell, has allowed 21 pressured and pressures this year and 268 pass-blocking snaps. Greg Little steps in at the other tackle spot. He's given up 27 pressures in 249 pass-blocking uh, snaps. And the money is pouring in on the 49ers. They're now four-point favorites over the Dolphins. Um, I think the public, I think the the gamblers know something. I like the 49ers to to win this game, to knock out Tua, and to uh, and the defense to really rock and roll. So I, I think this is going to be a statement game 
for the 49ers, and I like the Niners to win and cover. All right, that being said, we got a little trivia question here. Can you guys name the only player in the NFL this season with four-plus interceptions and five-plus tackles for loss? Or is there more affectionately known TFLs? Talanoa Fonga. Lee the man Gowlins. thrives under pressure. Yeah. The Womack pick, this... the trivia quiz. It... And that's why this guy is running 49er UK, <laughs> which you can find on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, because he knew it. Yeah, Talanoa Hufanga. Yeah. And I've said it before. Talanoa Hufanga is the kind of guy you want your daughter to marry. Uh, he's respectful. He's... he's uh, this is such a nice guy. We asked him for an interview a few weeks ago, Lee. And he's, you know, in a towel. And he's like, hey, do you mind if I take a shower first? I'm like, go for it. No problem. We start interviewing Hassan Ridgeway right across the way. Now it's like six, seven, ten minutes later, whatever it was. And we're still doing the interview with Ridgeway. I get a little tap on the shoulder. Hey, I'm ready anytime you guys are. Doesn't happen. I mean, it literally doesn't happen. It doesn't happen with any player, let alone a player of note who's having a phenomenal year. But that just kind of tells you about the person and the accountability and, and you know, watching this team this summer, watching the team in minicamp in May. I said to Ryan and others, I said, watch out for Talanoa Hufanga. And a lot of people were saying, well, he's a special teamer, you mean? I'm like, well, I'll just say this. I'm watching the Niners in minicamp, and Jimmy Ward and Talanoa Fonga are leading them in stretch. They're leading them in the drills. They're the first person to do everything. I go, he, you better, you know, you better reassess that if you're one of these believers that Fonga is a special teams ace, you might want to reassess that because on the practice field, he looks like the captain of the team. Um, and then sure enough, here came training camp and there he was still leading all these drills and, and kind of taking a lead. And then here came the preseason. He started making plays. Then here came the, you know, week one and he's in the starting lineup and he's making plays. So, you know what? Always, there's an old scouting axiom, have your eyes, tell your brain what you see. Don't have your brain, tell your eyes what it just saw. And, if you just li- followed your eyes and watched minicamp, you would have saw that, you know, one, Trey Lance was really coming on, and two, Talanoa Hafanga was establishing himself as far more than a special teamer. So uh, I felt good about that one, the way it shook out. But yeah, Talanoa Hafanga is the guy. And Lee, you knew it. How'd you, how, did you hear that this week, or did you, is this just your, your sense of the league told you that was the answer? I heard it this week because it was mentioned there on the 49 of the UK podcast by Naji Kara, who was in Vegas with us. He's a huge Talanoa Hufanga um, fan. Yeah. What a player. What a what an absolute gem of a guy and a player. And uh, I can't wait to, you know, he does remind me because of the hair of Troy Palomalu. Yeah. Palomalu was Canton. I don't know if Hufanga's Canton. But, man, he's probably a, a Pro Bowl candidate this year. I'd like to see him make it. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yep. All right, that's going to do it for our for our uh, Tales from the Bay podcast. Lee, you got a final thought 
as we uh, wrap up our podcast, really a pleasure to meet you. And we wish you, wish you nothing but, you know, growth to uh, the 49er Faithful UK uh, podcast and everything that you guys do. We'd love to have you back on. Um, give us your thought, your final thought. Yeah. Here. Also, I have to shout out. I mean, I, I, for, I know that you're currently staying in a hotel, but I, in my mind, I was like, yep. oh, yeah, he's back in England, you know, because because I'm looking at the freaking awesome 49er faithful flags in the background. The man yeah. pins him up in his hotel room. He's a total pro. Uh, yeah, Lee, it's been great. <laughs> Jeez, thanks a lot. Uh, final thought. Number six is coming home this year. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> This is a, is this now, are you a man who brought a good book to read or are you taking in American Spectrovision inside the hotel? Um, no. So, I mean, we spent very little time inside the hotel. The whole week has <laughs> been sport related. Um, I mean, literally the, the day after we arrived, we arrived last Wednesday. Um, and the very first thing we did is we went to Kizar Stadium to watch the high school championship nice. game, the Turkey Bowl. Yes. Um, it's awesome. a tr- it's a tradition now. So we yes, still have full yeah, of all sports now. Yeah, that's where the public school leagues play their play the Thanksgiving Day game. Was it Galileo and Lincoln? Who was who was playing? Or do you remember? No, it was Balboa. Balboa and Lincoln. Balboa. Yeah. Balboa and Lincoln. Not Balboa there you go. Buccaneers against uh, Lincoln. The Balboa Mustangs. Buccaneers yeah. in orange, orange and black, I believe. And Lincoln, I think, uh, red and gold, yeah. possibly. Yeah. Um Great stuff. Awesome. How cool would it be if Lee's right and we're all meeting up in Glendale, Arizona for Niners? Who's going to be in that game, by the way? I'm saying Niners Ravens. Rye said Niners Chiefs. Lee, you got a thought? Ravens, wow. I think Niners Ravens. The rematch of uh, the Harbaugh Bowl. Niners Bills. There you go. You like Ravens? Lee, who are the Niners going to beat in that bowl? He's saying the Bills. Oh, the, the Bills. Bills. Niners Bills. Yeah. There you go. I'd love to see it. All right. That's great stuff. Um, thanks to Rye. Thanks to Lee. Uh, thanks to all of you who watched it. Check out the 49er Faithful UK podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, follow this man. He's doing some great things. Rye, you got a final thought? Uh, subscribe to the podcast, Tales from the Bay. It's got its own, its own feed now. Uh, make sure to uh, like, subscribe, five stars, leave a comment, leave a mean comment, probably read it, especially if it's mean, especially if it's funny. Uh, and yeah, uh, it's great. Another great episode. On to the Dolphins. There you go. Hey, uh, Lee, like many of the players that we talk to, uh, it's like a universal uh, uh, saying at the end of any conversation. We just finished with a simple... Go Niners. Go Go Niners. Niners.